Um, well, friends, uh, good morning and welcome. My name is JT, and I serve as one of your pastors here. Um, as Timo alluded to, I serve as the lead pastor for our, our Rest in Sight that we're launching here in six weeks. Holy smokes. And so um, really excited, um, so thankful. And I, I did want to just say this, that because um, I probably won't have the chance to do this in this setting before we launch, but I just want to say how, how thankful I am for our church. Um, thank you so much. Um, I, I can't, um, I'm going to cry at some point in the sermon, not now though, um, but um, I am just so thankful for our church um, and, and so thankful for who our church is now and the rich heritage that our church has to send out people for the gospel. And um, as, we, as we seek to do that, you know, we're one church in multiple locations. And so as we seek to start a new location in Reston, uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for just words of encouragement. And uh, Timo and I and our whole team are excited. Uh, I'd encourage you if, you, if, you're, if, you're on, if you're thinking about all things kind of uh, Reston, if you live out that way, come visit us, come hang out with us. Um, it'll be great to see you. Uh, I also did want to just share this little piece. Um, we have had... Um, we have this list of kind of everybody that's reached out to us and said, hey, yeah, I'm going to be there. Expect me, you know, just for logistical purposes. Um, and we have 18 people on that list who have no affiliation with our church. Um, no affiliation with our church at all. Um, and there's a number of, of stories there that I, I wish I had time to tell you. But it's amazing when, you, you know, part of missions is joining God in what he is doing. Right? Not trying to create our own thing, but joining him in what the Holy Spirit is doing. And it's amazing just to be a part of that. So thank you for your words of encouragement. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, we're excited to launch. But this morning, we have work to do. Uh, we have been in a series in the book of Proverbs. And as you, as you know, we've been looking at a number of themes. Uh, last year, we look, or last week, we looked at wealth. The week before, we looked at the idea of idleness, uh, right? Beware the sluggard, uh, Pastor Ryan preached on. Uh, and today, we're dealing with Proverbs 31, as we just had read for us. And friends, let's just go ahead and, and lean into and embrace the awkward this morning. Let's just step right into it. That there is a lot in our world being talked about around the topic of gender. And we could spend all day talking about that. But let's also just lean into just Christendom for a second. Because... Based on your experience, as I even say the title Proverbs 31, I have no doubt that that elicits a number of feelings in our congregation. For some, Proverbs 31 for you has been a helpful passage for your life. You've had pastors and teachers that have, have, have exegeted the text appropriately. They've applied it appropriately to your life. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. But for others... I recognize that you hear Proverbs 31, your stomach begins to turn. Anxiety level begins to raise. Because you've had pastors that have not exegeted the text properly, that have misapplied it to your life. And for that, as a pastor, as a minister in the gospel, or in the, in the church of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. Now, as we dig into the text here, our hope is, my hope this morning, is that we, re we really allow this text, we really allow God's word to tell us exactly what it has for us. And I believe that if we're faithful and prayerful, that God by his grace, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will indeed do that for us. Amen? So this morning we're going to look at the context of Proverbs 31. 
We're going to look at the content of Proverbs 31, and and finally, we are going to look at the application of Proverbs 31. Let's go to the Lord first in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? God, we come from all kinds of different situations and circumstances this morning, but ultimately we need the same thing. God, we need to see Jesus this morning. So God, we ask you to do that. And God, we pray and ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing most of all to you. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. As we've gone through our series, we've talked a number of times about how the book of Proverbs is poetry. And because it's poetry, it's important to apply it as poetry, right? So it's not supposed to be a do this, do that, and get this but rather we're looking at the principles that it shows. We're looking at um, the wisdom that it shows. And as you look at those principles, um, it's important to apply them appropriately to your life. And you can see that just with your English Bibles looking at the book of Proverbs, you can see that it's poetry, right? Uh, One thing that's interesting about Proverbs 31 is you can't see in your English Bibles the reality that Proverbs 31 is actually an acrostic. It's an acrostic. If you go to the original language of Hebrew, what you'll see is that Proverbs 31 follows the the Hebrew alphabet. So so very very beginning, right, it goes Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Sin, Yet, Tet, Yod, so on and so forth, right? It follows the Hebrew language, all 22 letters of the Hebrew language. And then it begins to instruct you from there. And so again, it's, it's, it's meant ultimately to connect back to Proverbs 8 and 9. If you remember, Proverbs 8 and 9 talked about wisdom. And what's so interesting about Proverbs 8 and 9 is that Proverbs 8 and 9, it describes wisdom a number of times. And if you remember, it, it describes wisdom as being a female. It describes wisdom as being a female. And so Proverbs 31 is actually meant to now be illustrative of what Proverbs 8 and 9 is. Now, we have to, since we're setting up the context of Proverbs 31, we have to begin with understanding, this this is vital for us, understanding how revolutionary of a text Proverbs 31 is. How revolutionary of a text Proverbs 31 is. The fact that the book of Proverbs, that God's word, describes, describes wisdom, such a crucial, right? If you've let, if you read uh, philosophers, you know how, how focal, uh, what a focus point wisdom is. And it describes wisdom as a woman, right? Lady wisdom, it calls, if you go directly to the translations. And then that picks it up right from Proverbs 31. But you have to see it in its historical context. You first have to understand the world in which Proverbs 31 was placed. And to do that, we have got to do a little, a little, uh, little archaeology. We've got to go back to that historical context and see the revolutionary nature of God's word in that context in order to understand it appropriately and then to properly apply it in our historical context, right? So let's look just briefly here at what the prevailing view of women was during this timeline. So again, just to give you some numbers, uh, Proverbs was likely written within the 900 BCE timeframe. It was compiled, most most, uh, Old Testament theologians believe, uh, compiled right around 750 BCE. And so what was the prevailing view regarding women during this timeframe? And for centuries onward, I might add, and you'll see here in a second. 
Simonides of Amorgus wrote in the Types of Women, which this is 550 BCE, so again, centuries after Proverbs was written. This was the uh, kind of central document that was guiding what a woman was during this time period. He made this statement. He said, God made the mind of woman in the beginning of different qualities. For one, he fashioned like a bristly hog in whose house everything tumbles about in disorder. Bespattered with mud and rolls upon the ground, she, dirty and unwashed, clothes, sits and grows fat on a dung heap. In the good woman, which was 150 years later in 400 BCE, things haven't gotten much better. It says, good women must abide within the house. Those whom we meet abroad are worth nothing. Thucydides, in his dictum on women in 395 BC, said this, the best wife is the one of whom the least is said, either of good or evil. Aristotle, famous Aristotle, who you learn about in school, he said this, a woman is nothing more than an incomplete male. Socrates and Plato, in their dialogue back and forth, talked back, talked back and forth about how women were essentially equal, uh, but needed, were essentially equal, they said, but needed to be trained and educated. But they heartily agreed that everyone in society, when they saw them being trained and educated, would, would see this process as ridiculous. During this time period, and for centuries onward, this was the prevailing view of women. But Proverbs 31 stands out as a revolutionary text, as we'll see, about the virtue, the dignity, and the worth of God's creatures, of women. It, it's fascinating to me. This is, what, this is in my text, but I want to just bring this up. It's fascinating to me that in Genesis 1 and 2, when God creates the world, right, he says over and over again as he creates, this is good, this is good, this is good. What's the one, this is before sin enters the world. This is pre-fall. What is the one thing he says is not good? That man should be alone. And he creates, who does he create? Eve. Creates Eve. So let's move from the context of Proverbs 31. Let's look at the content of Proverbs 31. As we get in the text, um, it's important to set the scene. We're told that Proverbs 31 are the words of a king, King Lemuel. King Lemuel, uh, specifically we're told further on that, that these are words from him, but ultimately they're from an oracle from his mother. Um, I think it's pretty, co pretty cool that the book of Proverbs begin, begins with a father giving advice to his son and ends with a, with a mother giving advice to her son. But Proverbs 31 is written not from a man's viewpoint of what he sh he's looking for in a spouse. It's actually written, uh, being described from his mother's point of view, what he should be looking for in a partner. And it's important to rem remember that this mother's son is to be king someday, right? And so she is trying to instill the right values in her son as she prepares him, as she invests in him to be king one day. You can see small portions of this investment that she is doing in her son as she says a number of things. One of those is actually in verses 8 and 9 of our text just before our main text this morning. And she says this to her son. She says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteous, righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. This mother very clearly wants her son to be a good king. A king who sees and practically cares for everyone in his kingdom. And she recognizes what all, good, what all good parents recognize. That the spouse their child chooses is important. 
She recognizes that. So she begins in verse 10, giving her son a description of the type of partner that he should be looking for. And she begins by saying in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Again, we haven't even gotten to all the verses, but do you see the contrast here? Do you see the contrast in what the prevailing opinion was on women and then what God says? Continues. We've already, we already see the, begin, the, the contrast, but it's important that, that the, the words excellent wife there, the word excellent here, there's a number of words for excellent uh, when you look at Hebrew, but this word in particular actually has military language associated to it. It can also be translated as worthy, strong, brave, or virtuous. You may, you may see that in other Bible translations that you have. In various translations, you'll see them change out excellent wife with virtuous woman or brave woman. So this morning, let's take a look at all of the different categories of this virtuous woman. We're going to really use three subcategories for us. We're going to look at first her character. Secondly, we're going to look at her vocation. And finally, we're going to look at her household. It's important as we apply this text to understand, again, the way that poetry is meant to be applied. Right? It's not meant to be a checklist. It's meant to show you the disciplines. It's meant to show you the virtues associated to these various situations. Right? And so it's not meant for you to directly apply each and every situation. You can't do that because we live in 2022. There's things that you're just not going to be able to directly apply. But what you can apply is the virtue, the disciplines, the, uh, the character traits behind all of these things. So let's look first at her character. Verse 17 says this, says she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. What are some of those traits or those, those virtues that we see? We see that she's strong and dignified. She's not a wallflower. She's not on the sidelines. She's not arm, just kind of walking along with her guy in, in, in arm, right? No, she's strong. She's dignified. We see that she looks to the poor. Her success doesn't detach her from those in need. It doesn't elevate her above them, but instead her success propels her to help them and to speak to them and to, to be with them. We see that she speaks and teaches from her mouth or she speaks and teaches and from her mouth comes wisdom and kindness. The, the words there in Hebrew are direct translations, so then we get to the New, New Testament where it talks us to speak with grace and truth. She has the ability, because of, of, of learning in life and understanding, that she is able to speak both truth and grace, both wisdom and kindness. What a skill we need today. Amen. We're told that she's not afraid to speak up. She opens her mouth. Uh, you may remember the... The movie, I love this movie, uh, Meryl Streep's movie, A Devil Wears Prada. Anybody seen that one? Yeah. Um, people are like, oh, I don't know if I should say it, but yeah. Um, Meryl Streep's character is the CEO of this runway magazine, right? And it's amazing because um, you just see the back and forth there and kind of the, the, the power struggle, but she is at the pinnacle of success, power, and control in her field. Uh, but it's her virtue, her character that is lacking. And this makes her a tyrant of a person to work with, if you've seen the movie, right? Um, and there's some redemptive things in the end of it, which are cool, but we, we won't go there right now. But what it points us to is that no matter what happens in your vocation or your household, it all begins with your character. 
We see that in God's word. Verses 30 through 31 summarize this focus on character of this virtuous woman. As it says in verses 30 31, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This virtuous woman's character is ultimately a result of her relationship with the Lord. She is a woman who fears the Lord and obeys the Lord. She doesn't focus on external dispositions of charm or beauty that will pass away in time, but ultimately she is, she is who she is because of her relationship with the Lord. Let's look at now at her vocation. Verse 13, we're told that the virtuous woman seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Verse 14, she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Verse 19, she puts her hands to the distaff and her hand, I had to look that one up, uh, and her hands hold the spindle. Um, it's essentially like a spindle. Look it up in your Bibles, it's cool. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So what does this tell us about the virtuous woman? She works hard. She is dedicated to her craft. She's committed to her craft. She's skilled. It tells us that she is resourceful. She's acquiring the goods and the resources for her vocation, whatever those are, right? She's knowledgeable. We see that she is a woman of real estate transactions, right? She's going to a field. She's considering a field and she's fiscally minded because she's buying that field with her own resources that she's made through her vocation. She's perceptive and savvy. Her merchandise is profitable. She, she, she sees that her merchandise is profitable. She's industrious. She says she makes, sells, and delivers to the merchants. It's important to under, understand how complex of, of the, the economies of scale were at this time. How difficult that actually was, right? This was before like, Amazon or any of this stuff. And so for her to be able to do that is already just amazing. She's industrious. It's important for us to remember um, remember this because there are, there are some circles within Christianity that, that vehemently would say, oh, a woman's role is just to stay home and would say the fact that, that, that a woman should have a vocation, that's against God's word and nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing could be farther from God's word. It's important also to remember, again, just this is why the historical context is so important. The idea of a, if I can, and this is, this, is no, this is no slam on this, as I'll get to in a second, but the, ideal, the idea of a single income family, that is a post-industrial concept, post-industrial revolution concept. It, it, it just is. It is, for, it is in our current time, and it is for most of humanity throughout the world, right? Um, recently, or not, not recently, two years ago, uh, Matt Stone and I got on a, a plane and went to Togo, West Africa, right? We spent 14 days uh, seeing some of our missions partners there. We went all the way up to the northern regions and we got to spend a day visiting with all of the different recipients for the microloan project that our missions partner has there. If you guys know, know about microloans, essentially you give them a small loan so they can build up, they can have a little bit of capital to build up their business and it becomes, you know, they pay that money back and then it, it just, they, they grow and grow and grow from there. And it was amazing as we went into this church building, we, we got to meet with all of these partners Every one of them, except for two, were women, were mothers, 
who through this microloan project, we were able to help them build up industry in their villages, in their towns. It was amazing. It was incredible. Why? Because the reality of having to provide for yourself, it took both family members, right? Mother and father, husband and wife. If we've looked at her vocation, let's look at her household. Let's first start with verses, verse 15. It says, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Verse 21 says, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 27 says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat, eat the bread of idleness. Verses 11 and 12 really provide the, the initial summary of all of this, where it says, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. The virtuous woman is seen here as not being idle, not being lazy. She wakes up early to provide for her household, to provide for her children, to provide for her maidens. She's caring in that provision as she cares for them. We see that she's organized, right? She's done what she needs to do to prepare for the oncoming weather. She's discerning, right? She has good quality linen products for, her, for herself and for her family. She does good, not evil to her husband. She loves her husband, cares for him, does good for him, not evil. And finally, because of that, she is trusted. They view each other as allies, it seems, in this marriage. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful thing. Ultimately, we see that her stewardship of her family and their welfare results in her husband being, as it says in that verse, known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Again, this all ties back to all of her work, all of her provision. She's doing, she's doing her husband good, so much so that it reflects beautifully upon him. What a blessing for him. These, these household passages are culminated in verses 28 and 29 of the text where it says this about her. It says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. There is so much we could dig into here. But we see that she is dedicated to her household. Her vocation, her career doesn't go into a direction where it makes her neglect her household, neglect her children, neglect her family, but no, she takes care of both. She has a, a love and a care for both. And it's important for us to remember and to, as much as we say, hey, vocations are fine. It's, it's, it's equally important for us to say that if you feel called to stay home with your family full time, praise God for that. We need to be a church where we recognize the full orb of the, that God is opening and allowing for all women to be involved in. The beauty of Proverbs 31 is it's not one dimensional, but it's showing the grand arc of everything that, it, that, is, that is brought to what it means to be a woman. It's beautiful. And what we so often do in the church is we begin to say, oh, no, just this or, oh, just that. And God says, no, no. Again, it's a revolutionary text. It's a widening text. It's a broadening text of the beauty, dignity, and, 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 and just worth of women. There's so much we could dig into, but we need to spend time applying this text to our lives. Um, say this. We talked about what the view of women was thousands of years ago, but let's be real we ourselves are in a context. And more and more, the context that we reside in 
If, if that context wanted to draw sharp lines of distinction between men and women, the context we now live in wants to erase them completely. Wants to erase them completely. It wants to say that gender is just a construct. It wants to say that there is no such thing as male or female. Here's, here's the craziness of that. Okay, just brief, uh, we could go on, but here, if that is true, if gender is just a construct, Gender is just a construct, and there is no male or female, right? If there is no male or female, then Aristotle was right. If there is no gender, then Aristotle was right, that women are just weak males, or just, let's take away gender completely, weak human, weaker human beings. God says, no. Aristotle was wrong. Those writers were wrong. The current day philosophy is wrong. God comes along in Proverbs 31 and so many other passages and reclaims what he has created and says, no, women are virtuous. Women are worthy. They are dignified. And he shows us that in his word. We need to apply this text. I am running out of time. I'm sorry, Jeff. Jeff follows our, our, our timeline. But we need to apply our text. But there is a lot to dig in here. Um, there's a famous Hewlett-Packard internal report uh, that since, you've probably seen it quoted in a number of, of articles, uh, it found that men and women are very different in how uh, they apply and interact in the job market. Uh, this report found that men will apply for a job uh, even if they only meet 60% of the qualifications, right? 60% I'm good, right? I'll, I'll charm them. Uh, whereas women will often only apply if they are certain they meet 100% of the qualifications, Harvard University recently, uh, actually just, just a couple years ago, did a study on the gender gap in its computer science program and reported that women with eight years of programming experience are as confident in their skills as their male counterparts who only have one month to 12 months of programming experience. <laughs> Lord help us. Uh, yikes. So social scientists call this phenomenon imposter syndrome. It's the feeling that you don't measure up. It's the feeling that you're faking it, that you don't deserve to be there. And I think if we're honest, when we read Proverbs 31, we see some of the beauty. We see some of the beauty. But especially, in the, especially for the ladies in our congregation, feel the overwhelming weight. Also feel the overwhelming weight. As I was reading off some of those verses, maybe you were keeping an internal checklist in your mind, saying, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. Nope, I need to work on that one. Nope, I don't meet that qualification. And let me speak even more directly here. Um, and let me say this. This is um, every sermon that I preach, and I've told our pastoral staff this, I take to my wife, and actually we work through it together. We work through it. She says, nope, that's wrong. Don't do that. Right? That's, that's, that's theologically crazy, JT. Don't, okay, yep. And so we, we work on it. And she adds stuff, and um, pretty much two-thirds of this is hers. But... Um, <laughs> But let me, let me speak directly here to, our, to the moms in our congregation. I know that many of you lie in bed awake at night thinking through your day. Thinking through your day and all of the mistakes you feel you made. You lie in bed, you go about your weeks terrified that you're not doing enough to train your child up in the Lord. Right? Am, I, am I teaching them enough? Am, am I investing in them enough? 
Am I doing more? Right? Or maybe you lie, lie in bed uh, just reeked with guilt for yelling at your children at some point. Reeked with guilt of the, of, and shame over what you feel like is you not make, make, making the mark. Or maybe even, you know, you go across those Instagram profiles. You know what I mean by those Instagram profiles? Right? Those profiles that um, it's like, I, I personally don't know about, again, this is coming from my wife. Um, those Instagram profiles where it's like this mom of 10 kids, her makeup's perfect, and she's like, got, like every other day, she, it's like she's at another amazing place, right? You know, south of France, boom, right? Uh, zoo, here we are, right? King's Dominion, yay, you know, Harvard, whatever. Um, and, and you're just sitting there, you're like, what, right? If you're like my family, my wife and I, Saturday morning, we're hanging out and we're like just getting our coffee, it's 10 a.m., we haven't even fed the kids. You know, like we're trying to, we're trying to figure out life. And you're sitting there reading Instagram and you're like, man, I do not match up. Well, maybe you're in the marketplace. Maybe you've chosen your, your vocational career and you have sadness over a lost business opportunity. You have sadness over a failed business, a, a relationship that you had, a partner that you began with, that now, now you dislike each other. Things went sour. Maybe you, you have guilt over what could have been. Maybe I could have done this or made this change or, or, or chosen this person or done this or that or whatever it is. And you are just reeked with this sense of, I messed up. I can't do any better. You begin to believe the lie that you are indeed an imposter. Perhaps you've read Proverbs 31 and you feel the same weight. And you say, JT, I don't measure up. I don't match up. And if I'm being quite honest, I don't know if I ever can. Friends, rather than asking the question, how do we apply Proverbs 31? I think a better question for us is how does God want Proverbs 31 to be applied to our lives, to your life? And Jewish tradition provides some keys for us. If you know anything about Jewish tradition, then you know that Jewish life revolved around the Sabbath. Specifically, it revolved around um, um, keeping the Sabbath day holy. And Sabbath day would go from Friday evening to Saturday. And as Sabbath would begin, they would light what's called the Shabbat candles. And usually it was the, patri- or the matriarch of the family that would light the Shabbat candles. And this began the Sabbath day. So the mother of the home, the grandmother would light the Shabbat candles. And then she would close her eyes and she would recite a prayer. She would recite a prayer. And immediately after that, every week, the patriarch of the family, the father, grandfather, whoever it would be, would come and would sing what is called the Esket Kavil. I'm not saying it right, but that's generally what it is. The Eschet Kavil in Hebrew. And what that translated means is woman of valor or woman of bravery. And what he sung was Proverbs 31. He sung Proverbs 31 to not just to his wife, but to all of the women in the household, to the entire family, but specifically to the women of the household. Why? Why did he do this? The purpose of the husband singing to everyone in the household was not to praise them for what they had done that week. It was not to praise them for what they had done, and it was also not to heap guilt upon them for what they needed to be or what they needed to do. Instead, so so hear me when I say this, it was not expectation shoved upon them, but actually it was a celebration of who they are. A celebration of who they are. It was not a job description for women. It was not a sermon with expectation, but a song of joyous celebration. And it's a reminder of who they are. That, that, that it, was, it was the husband of family saying, you are a virtuous woman. And now as we go into Sabbath, rest in that. Rest in who you are. 
is a reaffirmation of encouragement. And friends, that Jewish tradition is beautiful, but it is just a shadow to what you and I have now in Christ. It is just a shadow to what you and I have now in Christ. Because the issue for us is that we're not Proverbs 31, right? We're not Genesis 1 and 2. We are Genesis 3. We have experienced the effects of the fall. Each and every day we do. And what it has shown us and what what God's law shows us is that we are in a desperate need. So ladies, if you're there struggling with Proverbs 31, gentlemen, if you're there struggling with texts like 1 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, the good news of the gospel is not that you can now work harder to make yourself that. The good news of the gospel is not that you can pick yourself up and make yourself better. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done that for you. That Jesus has acted on your behalf. That he has come, he has wa- that we have been washed in his blood. That we have been buried with him in baptism. That we have been raised to newness of life. That we've been covered in his grace. We've been chosen to be his bride. We've been given his eternal spirit. And that now he says, it is finished and you are holy. Not because of your works, not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not our merit, it's not our virtue, it's his merit, his virtue. Yes and amen. Good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to take away our sin and that we have been given his righteousness. We have been given his virtue, his merit. Do you really think that God would send his only son to come and live a sinless life, to die upon a Roman cross, three days later to resurrect from the grave just so you could work a little bit harder? No. Jesus has come, given you his righteousness, So that God the Father now looks on you and says, you are a woman of valor. You are. He looks on you with love and affection that a father looks on their child. That a father looks on their daughter. And and guess what? He sings over you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And if you're struggling with the guilt and shame in life, remember Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus gives you no checklist of expectation. No, He gives you an affirmation of who you are now in him. And because of Jesus, we can look at Proverbs 31, not with a heavy heart, not with shame, not with guilt, but with faith, but with faith that Jesus has made us well, that he is our virtue, that he is our merit. And because of him, we can now go to Proverbs 31 with imagination, curiosity, and dedication that only a heart set free by his grace can do. If you, try to do it, if you try to do it the other way, if you try to go to the law, it's gonna weigh you down. No, go to Jesus, experience his freedom, experience his grace, and then go to God's word in freedom as you seek to apply it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. God, we, Lord, we, we're a mess. Lord, and we don't even begin to understand how big of a mess we are. 
So God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our big brother Jesus who came and lived on our behalf. That God, that through him we have been buried, we've been resurrected, we've been given your spirit. God, we have newness of life. So Lord, would you, would you work that into our hearts? God, the moments when we're up at night feeling guilt and shame, Father, would you remind us of your grace? Would you remind us of our Savior? It's in his name we pray.